Welcome to the 10K Collective podcast for six, seven and eight figure Amazon and e-commerce sellers, a part of the amazing FBA family. If you want to scale fast, target a seven figure exit and enjoy the process, then keep listening. Today's episode is sponsored by the new e-commerce podcast, The E-Commerce Leader, co-hosted by myself, Michael Vizi, and Jason Miles, top 1% Shopify store owner and Unimi's highest rated e-commerce instructor. If you're the owner of a thriving e-commerce business, look for The E-Commerce Leader on your favorite podcast app and subscribe today. Hey folks, welcome back to the e-commerce leader, the place to be for six, seven, and eight figure. Amazon sellers is normally what I say, but increasingly that's an artificial thing because they are e-commerce sellers who mostly focus on Amazon. The people in my orbit do mostly, or they've got the odd uh, clients, one-to-one clients who sell in different places. But those guys are very busy building their own direct-to-consumer sites, as well as some people who listen to the podcast that it turns out only sell on Shopify. And I've, I've had a couple of guys listen, come to me for coaching. So Whichever one of those you're in, I think that the stuff that we discussed today with Klaus is going to be very, very important. Klaus Lauter, e-commerce growth advisor, seven-figure Shopify uh, store owner, and a very, very good, succinct and precise coach, in my opinion, my experience of him, which is why I've got him on the show. So today we're going to talk about the marketing strategy on Shopify. We mentioned Shopify, but for Shopify, you can insert WooCommerce, BigCommerce, Magento, WordPress, whatever technical platform makes very little difference just to be clear and we're going to talk about usp and and value proposition the right offer at the right time and some classic shopify specific errors that klaus sees as well so stay tuned keep listening and take notes as ever if you want to see the notes that we've taken go to amazingfba.com and forward slash blog or just go to 10kcollective.com which will take you direct to the 10k collective podcast same difference and see you at the other end. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to the 10K Collective podcast, the place to be for six, seven, and eight figure Amazon sellers and e-commerce business owners in general, because today we're breaking out of the Amazon bubble and thinking outside of the box there for, for us at so this podcast is radical anyway. I'm sure our visitor thinks that's ridiculous because our visitor has been selling on his own sites for years. So our visitor today, Klaus Lauter, who's an e-commerce veteran with 20 years experience, and he helps Shopify store owners turn visitors into sales. Now that's a simple value proposition. I like it. Welcome back, Klaus. Thanks very much for coming back to us. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. So in the last episode, we talked about some of the principles that we need to cover, basically psychological and marketing principles behind driving, you know, getting visitors to come into sales. And of course, we touched on why that's critical and the fact that, you know, sending a load of traffic somewhere with bad optimization for conversion is basically money down the drain. So today we're going to get into the nitty gritty. How do we actually implement this? Before we get into this, let's deal with this word conversion optimization. It's thrown around a lot. Let's just make sure that we're clear in our definition of that. What do you mean by that? Well, in a nutshell, it's about simplifying things. So just make it as easy as possible for someone to buy from you. And this implies obviously a lot of little steps that basically show in an overall amount or create an overall amount, a higher conversion rate for for your business. So it's really about looking into every part of your store, of your website, and deciding if you can make it simpler, if you can make it easier to digest and um, to use for your customer. Excellent. I like that a lot. That's a good, in, in a 
world of complexity you're looking for creating simplicity and by the way it's, it's interesting there's a book in fact just l- literally sitting next to me this is where i keep the books that i value the most by a guy called richard kosh and and uh, greg lockwood in fact i believe richard kosh was originally south african so you may have even crossed paths in literally at the airport but he is a british south african i'm not sure which you'd say and he worked in america a lot but very interesting that there are two forms of simplification he talks about one is really simplifying the process of the production like um, ford with his motor cars and the other one is simplifying the experience for the user like the apple ipad which famously of course is a technological nightmare to create in the first place so i guess what we're doing is creating simplicity for the the shoppers i guess for us as store owners that creates a lot of complexity we go oh my goodness where do we even start so that's my first question where do we even start with this well, usually where it starts is with a theme. Talking about Shopify and also for other systems uh, like WooCommerce, you're starting with, with a store theme. Obviously, very, very big stores or brands, they have developed their themes from scratch, which does not necessarily mean that they are better. A lot of starters in e-commerce, they um, tend to use free themes that they can get from Shopify. And I think there's about nine or 12 or something like that that you can um, choose from. And then obviously, there's a whole universe there on paid themes. And most of the time, people, first of all, they're overwhelmed by the pure amount of themes they can choose. And the decision is made usually in the first place on something that they find visual appealing. So they choose a theme not necessary by how good it is for conversion optimization or how um, much it is optimized for conversions. They just go for, does it um, fit my industry? Does it fit my niche? Does it fit my color scheme? And so on and so forth. So that's where it starts and where a lot of unfortunately wrong decisions are made in, in the beginning. Interesting. So I guess it's based on a sort of, I guess to be fair, if, if you have no criteria by which to make an overwhelming choice, you just go with instinct, which is not a bad starting point. But I suppose, so, so how would we decide better then? So we, what does it fit my industry color? scheme are there any other thoughts about how we would sort of approach that in a nutshell is basically you need to see what kind of products or actually how many products you have there are certain themes that are working better for a huge um, selection so if you're holding a lot of different SKUs on your store then there's themes that are better for that and then there's themes that are better for even one product stores so you really need to look into what do i offer how many different variants of products do i have and that might be a good start to look for a theme the second part is how easy is the theme to configure and to customize now with the cheaper or even with the free themes you're very limited in what you can do in regards of changing the look and feel from the back end the more expensive ones have much much more options sometimes overwhelming the amount of options you can have to configure your theme in the back end but that might help you to a certain degree on saving on money on software developers so that's a bit of a decision you need to make so how much kind of additional work is involved to get it up to your branding and Mm. is it only a logo that you throw in or is there a whole color scheme that you need to change that you want to change and then how easy or how difficult is that to do directly from the theme or do you need to have a third party if you don't have a developer in-house to do these changes wow Um, there's a lot that (laughs) there's a lot that goes into this sorry sorry, i didn't mean to interrupt you but yeah so i guess what that implies by the way is we've got to have a branding concept i suppose which means i guess suppose what a color scheme font that kind of thing that you've decided up front 
Is is that kind of the starting point before the theme, or would you get the theme and just kind of build from the theme outwards if you're if you're fairly early in the in the game? Exactly. Yeah. If, if you're just starting with your business, obviously, then you you start from there. If you already have a business, or you're coming from I don't know, you just had a, a static website or a your store or in a different platform, but you already have your branding your brand guide guidelines, your design guidelines, then you obviously want to look into it as can that theme support that very easily. Yeah, so good. That, okay, so it depends depends which way you're starting from, but I guess either which way, whether you're starting from a ready-made template or your own branding decisions, got to fit your industry and it's got to make sense of competition. I, I guess that's those are quite big decisions, right? I, mean, I guess we only would go down a, a rabbit hole here. I guess that's why you guys offer some serious coaching because that does sound quite complex. But I guess, you know, simplicity seems to be your watchword. So I guess that's a starting point. Okay, so after the website theme, which sounds like we're already sweating a bit here, what, what do we look at next? <laughs> now, if you start with your conversion optimization, you want to start always where it is the closest to the money. I mean, that's your checkout page. At the checkout page, obviously, people are pulling out their credit card and um, you want to make sure that this page is as optimized as possible to take any kind of conversion roadblocks out and that people really are ready to buy from you and go through the checkout process. And then you work your way backwards. So um, once you have done this, then you go into the cart page and then you work your way all up to the home page. So that does make sense as well. And I guess that, I mean, I don't know if you can put statistics on it, but do you know roughly how much of an effect optimizing the cart without optimizing everything else has? I mean, it's a bit of a how long is a piece of string question, but I'll, if you've got any idea of how to put that. <laughs> well, you will see it in the data after a while. So that's what I usually do in the beginning with, with my coaching clients. We sort of start collecting the data as a baseline when we start working together. And then over time, we see how how and what um, moves the needle. And as for a checkout page, for instance, if you work your way backwards, in Shopify, for instance, Shopify, you, you see your conversion rates and you see them on different levels. So basically from cart to, uh, from product page to cart page to checkout page to checkout. And obviously there's always a bit of a drop off in, in between these steps, but that's something you will see over time of how big the impact is. So it's, it's a bit difficult to say in the beginning. So you just follow the, the principles and industry standards and then you will see how big the uplift is. Usually there is, is some. Also depends on, on the system you're working on. Shopify, at least if you're not on Shopify Plus, you're sort of limited on what you can do on the checkout page. There's a few things you can do that definitely make a difference. But on other platforms, like in WooCommerce, for instance, you have much more creativity and much more um, access to how you can tweak and customize your checkout page. I guess that's kind of a double-edged sword, isn't it? I mean, having too much rope to hang yourself with can, can be just as bad. <laughs> so I guess that one of the things that I like about Macs and, and Apple's philosophy is that they kind of make it so that your computer can't do really stupid things because uh, they've made some um, upfront decisions, which may or may not be to your taste. I know that pretty much every developer or serious computer programmer that I know hates that for that reason. And I guess they would feel the same about WooCommerce. But I mean, equally, the fact that Shopify has limited the things we can do might be a relief after the number of decisions we have to make that's come up so far. But I like the fact to so start at where the money is. Once you've got the theme, then start where the money is and work backwards. That's a very sound principle. So I guess sooner or later, we're going to work our way backwards to the homepage. And I'm, I'm imagining that there's a lot of work to be done there. So what are we, what are the classic things? Let's start with the mistakes that people make that we need to correct first of all. 
Yeah, so first of all, we need to look into what's the purpose of the homepage. And there's basically three things to it, three pillars. Uh, first one is obviously communicating, as we already spoke about, the unique selling proposition and your value proposition. Just communicating who you are, what you're selling, why they should buy from you, not your competitors, and so on and so forth. Then the second one is building up trust. Again, we spoke about that by using testimonials, reviews, awards, qualifications, a word from the founder, user-generated content, and so on and so forth. So that's the second part. Uh, and the third part, finally, is then taking them into the next step, either to a category or collection page or to a product page. So you need to address um, these three things on your home page and then have them in the right order. So on the top, for instance, as the most important part, you would have your unique selling proposition. Below that, you would have a, a block of trust building elements. And then below that, you finally take them a step deeper into the customer journey. That feels very doable. I mean, I guess that compared to the other stuff we've been talking about, that feels kind of quite logical. And, and well, I guess you, it's uh, it's clearer and simpler. I guess that the thing about the theme that I still grappling with is is the number of choices to sound infinite. And that sort of, <laughs> what do they say? The confused mind does nothing. And I guess that sounds very confusing. Whereas this sounds um, like it's easy to mess it up. But now you've clarified, it does sound to me like a very doable thing. And, and I guess the homepage also is a kind of is less mysterious to us i suppose isn't it because it's a kind of the shop window and i suppose there is something about yeah, that that's more reassuring yeah there, there is an issue to it and you will see that if you're visiting stores you will have that all over the time and just next time you go to online shopping have a look at it especially on the home page uh, most of them are plastered with additional apps so they have a, a FOMO a fear of missing out app sliding in they have a chat icon popping in then they have an exit intent window popping in or a, a time released pop-up popping in so a lot of people just throw a lot of things on the home page and then before you actually can see something, you have to click on three things. And sometimes I see that people have like two pop-ups overlaying before you can actually um, read what is on the homepage. And that's that's a, it's a very common problem. Um, people just try to use every app that give them the slightest idea of I keep my, my customer here. One thing that I see when I'm pretty much a lot of stores have that is a, a pop-up that comes up before you have seen anything, before you have read the unique selling proposition, before you know what that store is about, there's a pop-up giving you 10% discount. So I don't even know what you're selling and you're already giving me 10% um, off. Now, two things happen in there. It's annoying that I have to click this away. Probably I'm not willing to give you my email address at this point because I don't know what you're selling and what you're about. And thirdly, um, you're devaluing um, your products right from the scratch. So you're giving me 10% on something that I don't know what it is, but apparently you don't have trust in your products because you're selling them cheaper. So there's a lot of things, and it's mainly about taking things away and reordering than recreating. Yeah, I like that a lot. I mean, <laughs> I'm just thinking about some of the stuff and my, my worst moments on my own website. So I've definitely been guilty of this. And, and to some extent, I maybe still am. But I think that the closest Amazon sellers can get to this again, Amazon restricts our restricts our abilities to change things for a very good reason, because they optimize for conversion like crazy. And they know what they're doing. They're geniuses at it. Whereas if you give an av average Amazon seller the chance, they'll just basically lie down in front of people and beg them and 
and give them 50% discounts. So I, I really like the fact that there's a time and a place for that. And the time, I guess, to give a discount is presumably when somebody's shown that they're interested, but there's some kind of resistance, I'm guessing, that not, hello, have a discount which would be a weird conversation in a shop, wouldn't it? When you think about it, as you said, the other episode, if you think about a physical shop, if, so if I walked into a shop and somebody said, hi, do you want a 10% discount on our shoes? I might be rather amazed. So, Well, I mean, it's a sales technique. I've spent a fair amount of, of time in, in yeah, strange countries. And I lived obviously in South Africa for a long time. And, and one thing that happens there is street sellers yell at you. It's like, I make you a better price. You don't even know what the original price is. So I make you a better price. So that's basically leading with a discount. And uh, yeah, there is a place for a discount to get them over the hurdle if they are not going there and there are strategies to do so. But you shouldn't lead with that on the homepage until you're a $1 store or something like that. But obviously, if you want to build a brand and you have quality products, that's not the way to go. I love that. that. That's really a classic. I, I was going to say, I think of street vendors as being pretty street smart, i.e. They, they, they live and die by what they do, you know, each day. And therefore, they'd be pretty savvy business people in a certain kind of street sort of way. But I'll make you a better price is not the greatest pitch when you have no idea what the original price was. That's very funny. And yet, and yet, how many of us are doing that? It's a very good point. And by the way, Amazon sellers listening, you're probably guilty of this. Guess what? All those discount codes you're sending out. If people have no idea what it is and why they should buy it, then why would they be interested in a discount? I'm just saying. So... What are the other typical optimization areas? I mean, everyone talks about, you know, testing and data and stuff. I mean, is this something we can sort of test our way out of or what do you think is the right way to approach all this stuff? Well, the testing comes after you have done your initial optimization run. So you go basically and follow all the tips and tricks and strategies that I give you to, to optimize your store. And then the testing starts, the A-B testing starts, and that n- never really stops. There's always always things you can um test out for that you will need data and um, you would need tools that help you in making the right decision what's working and what's not so you have your optimized store and then you decide for instance to check out if a i don't know a um continuous scrolling category page works better than a category a category page where you have a next page or a pagination on there and then you always go and just check or test one of these cases at a time. Big problem is that people try to change and test a lot of things at the same time, and then they don't know really which one is working or not. So it's it's a two-step process. First, optimize the whole store from A to Z, and then you start with A-B testing to further optimize over time. I'm into that. I mean, in the Amazon world, again, it's much, much more primitive. So you don't have to be, you haven't got so many things, anything like the number of things that you could change. But I still, (laughs) whatever levers are available, especially in the early days, you see people changing the price and the PPC spend and the photography at the same time. And I'm always just forbid my clients from doing that now. Like, for example, there's a guy I'm working with later who's doing about, I don't know, $10,000 a month early stages. And I said to him, right, you can change the price or you can change the PPC spend this month, this week. What do you want to change? Because we want to get some data. We're not even using split testing tool. We could, but even so, the number statistic, you know, number of 
data points we're getting on is, is going to give pretty dodgy statistics even after a week but after a day it would be just ludicrous so i'm totally with you on that one thing at a time it's like a a plea on bended lead for me to most people most of the time and sometimes people you should know better right I, I don't know if you've seen that but even people doing seven figures if they have a really terrible things happening in their business they start pulling all the levers at once have you seen that sort of phenomenon or is it just me no, I'm, I'm, I'm a victim of that myself. I mean, you start <laughs> going into panic mode and I say, like, oh, okay, I don't know what it was. So I, I rewrote everything I ever did. And then you pull out the bad and the good things. And you really should um, rely on, on, on the data. And again, with the data, if you're doing A-B testing, you need to reach a statistical significance so that needs you need to have enough data to to make a educated decision on that so just doing a change on your website and then let it run for three days and have i don't know 100 visitors and then making already decision that might be far too early so you want to have at least i don't know a thousand um, transactions on that so that you really know what's happening and that obviously um, takes some patience which obviously as entrepreneurs we are not the most um, patient people on the planet and just to sit there and to see is it working or not and not pulling the plug too early yeah absolutely i think that's when entrepreneurship as you've already just hinted it implies a weird mixture of personal characteristics but i think you have to have impatience but it's kind of hurry up slowly is the best phrase that i've heard that sums it up so in other words you want to be impatient for the result but you've got to have the courage to do one thing for long enough to know what the result's going to be and i just think it's it's a bit like sort of riding a a ship through a sort of stormy seas if you keep kind of twisting the wheel and going left right and whatever i think you're going to you know capsize I, i don't really know enough about sailing so this is a dangerous metaphor but you get the idea i think i see that a lot that we all fall victims to that sometimes And i think just basically panic can come upon all of us and i just i guess what we're both saying is just don't don't panic and change one thing at a time so the so we talked about individual pages and the the sort of overall theme of the site is the only sort of site-wide thing when it comes to the site as a whole what are the other sort of typical things that we need to look out for that that hurts or indeed help optimization for conversions well, what, one thing that helps you a lot with optimization is asking your customers, your existing customers. So um, doing surveys, sending out questionnaires, or even getting external services that have people going through your site. And basically, then they will be recorded and you will see how people are actually working with your site, especially with, with questionnaires. And that will help you immensely to understand what is it what people are looking for in your store and where they are struggling with so in this point or in this regards i um, your customers is really the best friend because they came as a first time visitor to your website and then something made them decide to buy from you and um, you want to know exactly is what was it that made you buy from us was it the product was it i don't know the brand were very specific things and um, people are usually very helpful in that i know from people who are actually calling their customers and going through them and um, taking them through the site again so it, it's more than just having a technology technology part of it doing the work it's really talking to your customer and asking them is like, okay, what can we make better? What, where are you struggling on, on your side? And you might just pull someone from the street, pull them in front of, of a computer and then ask them is like, buy something from this store and then you just watch them. So, and that, that helps tremendously. It's um, obviously depends on how far you want to go as a business owner, but this exercise will help you to understand what's wrong with your store, with your message, with your products and so on. 
I like that a lot. I mean, I think talking to people is really helpful now. Again, trying to sort of bring a bit of a sort of Amazon flavor to it, as it were. Obviously, by the way, you could do this in the past because you can literally, you could literally get people's phone numbers and phone them. Because I did this because some guy on a podcast told me to. So in 2015, I literally phoned some random people in America who were a bit surprised, but they did speak to me. So that is now not something you can do and it would probably get you thrown off the platform. But what you can do if you've got any kind of email contact with people is is ask them why they bought. And the, the classic way of doing that on Amazon, which is now a little bit hard to do, was to ask them if they were in America, two-day shipping, Ask them why they bought before they received the product. Then they're not influenced by the product, which is an interesting one. But also in modern Amazon, as it were, in 2021 and beyond, this is an excellent reason why even if your transactions happen in Amazon and they even if all the inventory is stored with Amazon, all the rest of it, that we want to be able to access customers or even shoppers outside of Amazon because of this kind of conversation because I think this is so powerful and this is one of the reasons why as, as Amazon sellers people get into weird habits because Amazon has so much control over our communication with the customers that we never get to speak to them literally speak the other thing I just want to say is what you just said is grabbing a person and just getting them to shop on your site and observing them any of us could do that if, even if you sell on Amazon as well and I think that's a really excellent idea and I don't know anyone who actually does this. I think this is one of those sort of extremely untechnical hacks, which takes some effort and some courage, but nobody's doing it. I've never heard anyone talk about it. So I think that could be a real win. Is that something you've literally ever done yourself, Klaus? Do you, do you have some, not literally off the street, probably, but you've got users in to shop in front of you? I, I have done this on my own store. Um, my hmm. own um, store is in a bit of a, um, at least from, from the viewpoint of a European, in a bit of a very specific niche. And so people do not necessarily understand in the first place what it is about. And I took people just from my wider friends and, and just say, listen, there's my store. Have a, have a go at it. Let me know what the store is about and just buy something. And then I was just watching them. And that's really, really helpful. That's really helpful. It's not necessary. I mean, you need to keep that in mind. If you have a specific audience, the person that you pull in front of the computer might not be your perfect customer in regards of the industry. So that might be a bit of a risk. So you, the closer you can come to your perfect customer and pulling them, uh, putting them in front of the screen, the better it is. Yeah. That's true. But nevertheless, I was just thinking if you've got somebody who's roughly the right kind of, you know, the right gender, well, I guess gender probably makes so much difference. If they're the right age, I, I think age might do all generation or I suppose other things like education level. So the, the bigger demographic picture, shall we say, yeah. I'd imagine that if your store is super hard to use, everybody will find it hard. So I guess it will find the bigger problems anyway. Right. And then the more subtle variations you might want to bring somebody in but i really like that i you know what the, the the older i get as it were in the amazon world i've only been selling on amazon for like about seven years now so i guess that's kind of in, in internet years are quite a long time right but it's not that long in the real world but i just feel like i trust solutions that are the most primitive the lowest tech and the least specific to a platform now the more amazon specific metric is the more suspicious i am of it so i love things like you know profit margins because they apply to all businesses <laughs> and a gross profit pre-tax profit whatever it is but this is really great i like this very nice and low tech so there are last couple of areas that i just want to talk about fairly briefly because this is like how long is a piece of string but obviously images are famously incredibly important with fast moving consumer goods sales they're important for any kind of marketing these days, but especially in this area. So how do we even begin to sort of start optimizing our images for conversion? 
Well, there's a technical part, and again, there is a usability part. Obviously, for the technical part, you need to resize them. And I usually, for a Shopify store, I would recommend something like 800 by 800 pixel and then compress them. There's a couple of tools out there that you can use, like tinypng.com, and, and compress the images so that they load fast. Then you want to use a, a carousel, obviously. And again, there's a lot of different variations in different themes. And again, keep it simple. So have your main image of your product loading. Best case scenario, your, your product with a white background. I think this applies to what you do on Amazon as well. And then have at, at least four or five different images um, of the product from different angles of the product in the hands of a customer. So basically the product on a, on, on a person, if that is possible, to give the, the shopper an idea how big the product is. And you can add also videos, obviously very helpful on, on this one. And I go as far as having a customer testimonial in the image carousel. Normally for a, a testimonial, people would need to scroll down on the product detail page to see the testimonials, reviews. And having it very high on the page, and that's the image carousel, might help you already. And then obviously, if you have a size chart or you need, I don't know, nutritional facts or something like that, you want to have this in the image carousel as well. So um, it's not only about the product, showing the product. It's also about additional information that you can access very, very quickly through an image carousel. Yeah, you don't this is great. Too many images. Yeah, this is good. And by the way, a lot of this stuff applies extremely directly to Amazon because we're talking about product detail pages now. So this is like comfort zone for me. And yeah, the technical part, I mean, the, the sizing is, is slightly different on Amazon. But I mean, certainly, I guess once you've got your own site, you've really, really got to think about page load speed, right? Whereas Amazon kind of takes care of that. Again, four or five images of the product from angles. I mean, on Amazon, we're normally limited to nine. So if you've got nine, it varies. Some are 10, some are seven. Like, please, folks, I'm begging you on branded knee again. Please use all of them. Why would you not <laughs> increase the possibility of buying, of people buying your stuff? And again, using video, uh, I think it's a bit underused because well, people get scared about this. But again, this is probably pretty similar between Shopify and Amazon, and you've got more leeway on your own site, I guess. But even more reason to convince people because you don't have Amazon's trust and, and brand that a lot of people just can put videos together from putting together still photographs and put some music behind and it's fine and it's certainly as long as the quality of the image work is good a pretty acceptable video these days and I think a lot of people shy away from it because they're worried and they think they've got to pay somebody a thousand dollars or a thousand euros or whatever to do a massive professional photo shoot I mean what's your what's your view and experience on that that sort of video creation side no, I don't think unless you're a huge brand like Nike or Adidas, you need to invest thousands of dollars to create a product video. As you said, it's, it's also about building trust and better having a video that um, is done, is homemade, but still good enough. And you can do that with, with, with your phone nowadays. I mean, if you have a good phone, it has a good camera and um, with a bit of good lighting, you, you should be able to, to show your product and definitely better than not having a video. And a video just connects much better to the product. And, and even to the customer, if the, the person who shows the product, for instance, is sort of within your audience, then a video definitely helps. I have one supplier for my uh, own store. They're making relatively easy videos for, for the products and they work very, very well. The advantage there, obviously, is you can use the video not only for your product page, but you can use the video also in other parts of your marketing.
Yeah, it's very smart. And again, you, you know, if you're selling stuff on Amazon, you can now use it in not one but two places. First one, the product listing itself, which will really drive the the conversion rate, which is what we're discussing here. And, and indeed, your entire focus, I know, as a consultant class. The second thing is you can obviously repurpose that video, which I have done for clients, and it works very well. Slightly different rules on Amazon, but same difference as uh, part of your advertising efforts, which strictly speaking, of course, then becomes part of the traffic at work. But the point is you get two birds with one stone, as we say in Britain, kill two birds with one stone. It's a rather violent metaphor now that I think about it, but that's what we say. And uh, that's just a starting point. And obviously, if you go out and use, you drive some traffic with Facebook ads or whatever, you've got it for that purpose again, right? So I think there's a lot of wins that come from a, a effectively a little sort of animated carousel. Unless we forget, folks, if you've got an iPhone, um, I've, the iPhone will automatically create this sort of collection for you with appropriate music. At least they think it's appropriate. I think it's cheesy nonsense, but it's the technology is so advanced now that the phones are creating this stuff for us. I mean, it's not going to be rocket science to put it together. So I, yeah, I'm just saying that because I see a lot of people who don't use video who could. So just sort of banging the drum for video. And tell me about this class because this is interesting to me as, as somebody who doesn't run a, a Shopify store, never have. But when it comes to product detail page on Amazon, a lot of people copy that on white background thing and of course if you're on amazon in your search term driven sort of generic search term not a branded term and you come onto a product detail page we only really have one page on which to connect people with the product so i'm always begging people to put more context in place lifestyle photos and stuff obviously in the shopify store that's very very different how does that work by the time the users made it to a product page is the on white background actually a better option in that context or is it also important to put some lifestyle Style shots in and show the product in use yes both so you should have um, the product on a white background or on a transparent background definitely in high resolution so that should be easy to see but one tip there a lot of stores are using the zoom feature so basically you can zoom into the product image and most of the time it's not really necessary if you have a high resolution photo or in a good quality photo you don't need that the downside of a zoom feature for instance is it adds to the load time there's more javascript to load in the background and you rather have detailed photos with certain features of the product instead of having this zoom functionality which can be very annoying depending on what device you are and the lifestyle photos obviously yes the what you need to decide on is do you want to lead with the product photo or do you want to lead with the um, lifestyle scenario that depends obviously on your audience and where do you want to sell so that's a decision that that you really need to test out what's the first photo on the slideshow or on the carousel they see from you something to test that makes sense to me. And and I think also I can imagine a couple of scenarios where even in an Amazon universe, well, we don't get to control it in Amazon. The first product photo is always on white. But the extent to which you then focus on lifestyle versus product detail, I would say, I mean, the, the, the two classic thoughts for me would be a very technical product, whereas a very lifestyle driven product, which is about being out in the sunshine and enjoying, you know, we have a bit of sun here, amazingly. So <laughs> British people like the sun. They just don't get much of it here, which is why they're all over to Cyprus to join you there, class. But probably speaking loudly in English and drinking too much beer, but I, I digress. But Or are you selling a very technical product to, say, a German audience, which even on Amazon, I would just really focus on features and technical because that's the sort of buyer. And I guess those are the sorts of nuances, right? So we talked about the images. I guess the last piece we should touch on briefly before I let you get back to the sunshine in, in Cyprus there is the copy or the words we use. I mean, first question, does it even really matter? I, I guess we all assume that everything's so visually driven. Do the words really matter these days? 
Yeah, it does. Absolutely. You have different people are digesting information different ways. So you have people who are more driven by, by images or by videos. And then you have people who really read every single word. And something you can see if you use your testing tools, Hotjar, Lucky Orange or whatever, how much time do they spend on different parts of your page? And obviously, you want to serve each of these these um, different groups with the right information. And copy or text is definitely very, very important. Two reasons there. First of all, and that's a technical reason, it helps you with SEO. So you need to keep that in mind. If you um, have something on, on the long run, you want to rank on search engines, Google, etc., then it helps you definitely to have text there. Secondly, it helps you um, to communicate the benefits. And that's where you should lead with always the benefits. I see a lot of stores that just throw in the, the features of the product and then they leave it like that. And that's it. So take it or leave it. And so you should always lead with the benefits, with good copywriting, and then slowly make your way down mentioning the features and mentioning the return policy and shipping policy and all of these things. The main decision you should or you need to make is basically, do you want to work with short copy? That means something that is below 500 words or so. Or do you want to have a, a, a long-form page, product page? As for Firestone, for instance, uh, you might have heard of him. It's a, a big seller in the Shopify environment. He uses a lot of what he calls left-right long-form copy, where he basically has a lot of text in there. He breaks it up with images, um, with videos partly, and it makes the whole experience, I wouldn't say more entertaining, but definitely more informative when it comes to the product and he's selling cosmetics which are not necessary highly technical products when you need a lot of test text but he uses that and for good reason so definitely invest in good copywriting if you can't do it yourself um, find yourself a copywriter and don't stop on copywriting on the home page or on, on the about us page really look in every single product page and it might be a bit of a pain in the neck to do so but the more you invest in these pages the better it is and i can give you an example my best-selling product in my store which i'm running for a couple of years now i invested at some point a couple of thousand us dollars for the copy of that specific product page and it might sound a lot for the product description of one page but it has paid out many times over what i have invested yeah that's quite uh, striking the two thousand dollars just for the words i mean that does feel really hard to sell if you had a board of directors to sell it to you i, I think that would be a difficult discussion and yet you know you've had a massive return on investment so that's that's very very striking uh, that the words definitely obviously still do matter i can say for example that in the amazon world even though it feels like the words really don't matter they do because i know that one of the guys in in the mastermind a while ago uh, had a very good professional copywriter they were employing and he got them to rewrite they didn't even change the the keywords they were targeting mm -hmm. so it didn't change the sort of seo as it were the amazon seo but the conversion rate went up just by changing the bullets they didn't change the title they didn't change the price they didn't change the images the stuff that i would personally expect to move the needle which blew my mind. It, it actually measurably increased the conversion rate of several percent, which just made me re revise my opinion that nobody reads the bullets, that this is not true. Maybe not that many people, but as you said, and this is a great corrective to my way of thinking is drifting, even though I'm a very words-based person, as you could tell, uh, drifting in the way of thinking words don't matter, that, that you're absolutely right. I mean, it definitely isn't true. And I love Ezra Firestone's approach. I mean, Ezra Firestone's one of the 
people that he's a kind of guru type who I really find very engaging. I mean, for once, one thing he did, which is not strictly an e-commerce example, but was very striking, is that I once saw a YouTube ad of his and it was just him talking like a podcast. He didn't have any call to action, which must be a historic event. <laughs> I've never seen in a YouTube band of it without a call to action. And it was about 20 minutes long. And the striking thing is I watched all of it because it was really engaging. How amazing is that? So that level of engagement, I, I think, is pretty special. So that's that's uh, that's like the extreme end of where you could go with it, right? But your $2,000 invested in with a return is a pretty striking story. One little last area that we ought to touch on, you've mentioned apps a few times and that people can misuse them. So tell us a little bit about good and bad use of apps in the Shopify universe. First of all, you should only use the apps that you really need. People tend to throw too many apps into their store because they can and they're cheap, depending on which one you use. And um, then they either are um, not really using all the features of it or there is just too many features that are used. So both extremes happen. And um, the more apps you have, the slower your store will load. So that brings us back to load times and speed of your store. So And it adds up over time, obviously, in, at the end with Shopify on, on your monthly bills, even if a single app is only like $10 or $12 or whatever per month. So really limit it on the ads that you really need. One tip there is... This is a very specific Shopify tip there. If you're testing apps, always make a backup of your theme. Then install the app. See if you like it, if you use it. If not, deinstall it. And then take the backup and put that back into your store. That will prevent your theme by clustering with leftover code and slow up your, your whole code. And so that's just to keep your, your theme clean and, and fast. So apps, again, have a look on what you really need. Normally, you don't need that many apps. A lot of themes that are coming already with a lot of features and functionality. So you don't need to have apps. But other than that, just keep it to the bare minimum. There's an emerging here, which is less is more, really, isn't it? That the simplicity and clarity, I guess, has to apply to the consumer experience. But in the end, it's sort of, I guess it has to, at some level, apply technically, because otherwise it, it just becomes an unwieldy mess. Either something's going to break, or <laughs> which is the worst case, or less dramatic, but probably terrible for conversion rate. I guess the load time increases, right? I, I understand there's lots of statistics about how quickly people give up on a site when the load time's over like 1.5 seconds or something. So yes, that that's obviously... One of those things, again, as Amazon says, we have the luxury of not thinking about, I guess. But yeah, I can certainly say also that if you're on WordPress, which I know some people do, and I know Shopify store owners really frown on this, but I know other people who are equally passionate about selling, you know, setting up serious e-commerce stores on WordPress. So I'm not going to get into that fight. But what I would say is as a WordPress owner myself, always back it up before you install uh, a plugin, which is very similar sort of to what you're saying. It's not quite the same because I guess the code, maybe the code stays clean afterwards. I just don't know. But it, yes, it's, it's the old principle that, that one app can crash your site. So don't risk it, especially if you've got a live site with e-commerce functionality. So look, lots and lots of things that you take us through today. I mean, Klaus, thank you so much for being so generous with your time. Didn't quite intend to take so much of your time, but there's just tons of value for people to work away. I mean, like a free masterclass for sure. So that's amazing stuff. I'm really grateful. Tell us a little bit about if people. Obviously, there's a lot that goes into this. If people want to work more intensely with you or tensively, I should say, how, how do they go about it? 
What do you well, offer? Well, to hit me up, I offer a training course, an implementation course, and one-to-one -one consulting and coaching. So basically, I take my customers from A to Z with a framework to implement all the conversion optimization, marketing automation, looking into data, and so on and so forth. Two options there. You can either work with me in a group environment or in a one-to-one -one environment. And that would be three months where you work very, very closely with me. And this includes calls, coaching calls. Um, you get access for 12 months to the course content, uh, which then includes videos and other resources. So if that's something you're interested in, then just hit me up and I get you all the details. Amazing. Thank you, Klaus. And then also, I know that you offer, oh yeah, we ought to give the URL for that. So if you want to go to that, folks, amazingfba.com forward slash Klaus, C-L-A-U-S, no E, C-L-A-U-S for sugar. And I know you also offer a little review of people's sites as well. Tell us what people can get there. Yeah, so what I offer for free is a 10-minute mini-site conversion review where I basically do a video audit of your store and then just go through the main pages like the home page, collection page, product page, and card page and um, see if there's any quick wins that either increase your um, conversion or even your average order value. And that will give you a, a quick start into conversion optimization and might give you a, a first step into this whole process of optimizing your store for higher conversions amazing well look class you've been extraordinarily generous with your time as, as ever and yeah really great expertise and put across in really absorbable bite-sized chunks and that's a great sign for anyone who's wanting to work more intensively with you of what they can expect because i you know you and I've, i've spoken quite a lot over the last while and and that's definitely been my consistent experience of you there's a lot of absorbable wisdom which is fantastic so look i'm really grateful thank you so so much for coming on the show you're very welcome was a was a pleasure Thanks so much for listening to the 10K Collective podcast, part of the family of amazing FBA podcasts. Today's episode is sponsored by the new e-commerce podcast, The E-Commerce Leader. The podcast is hosted by yours truly and Jason Miles, multi-million dollar Shopify owner and Unimi's highest rated e-commerce instructor. If you're the owner of a thriving online business and you want to become the best e-commerce leader you can be, it's got your name on it. For free guides and mini courses on many topics, go to www.theecommerceleader.com.